Exceeding Expectations, Episode 77. In this week's show, my guest is Billy Bury, and he talks about helping organizations improve company culture and increasing team performance. And he also has a pretty cool ambition about one day owning a major sports team in the States. So we're going to find out about that very soon. This is the podcast where we aim to give you ideas how you can give your customers a better experience and so you enjoy it more as well. Why not subscribe on iTunes, leave a review for us, do share the episode with someone who you feel would maybe benefit from some of the stories that you hear in this week's show. Do hope you enjoy the show today. Exceeded expectations. My guest today is Billy Bowie. How are you, Billy? Man, I'm doing so well. Really, really excited to be on the show. And you're in Atlanta, Georgia. Atlanta, Georgia. They call it the Dirty South. So we're uh, down here in the south of south of the states. Born and raised here, and love being from my city. And um, and I've never had the chance to to go to London before. So I'm excited to learn a little bit, uh, maybe about London on this uh, podcast as well. For people who are listening and maybe not so familiar with Atlanta, what was it famous for, Billy? So Atlanta is home to a lot of great businesses that are international businesses now, and it's become really a a hub for a lot of great organizations. So if anyone's heard of the Home Depot or Chick-fil-A or Coca-Cola or Delta, those are kind of the four big hub groups here in Atlanta. Um, it's the birthplace of Dr. Martin Luther King, which was the civil rights movement here in uh, the United States. And just a lot of great food, a lot of great nightlife. We have some fantastic sports teams. So I'm uh, my ambition in life is to own the Atlanta Hawks, which is our professional basketball team here. So um, my activity from a business perspective, everything that I do, I map towards how can I be the owner of a professional sports team. So that's my goal. And, and it really lines up with the exceeding expectations idea. And I've seen a lot of uh, great sporting arenas and different sports from um, to football, to American football, to basketball, to baseball, and looking at stadiums that really exceed guest expectations. And I'm looking forward to owning a sports team when I can really do that for the fans that come. So that's that's one of my uh, little goals in the beginning. But but yeah, Atlanta, mm. we have mild temperatures, um, beautiful, beautiful place. So if you want to come visit, you guys look me mm. up and I'll give you a tour. Sounds good. Well, I mean, there's there's so much to to explore in what you've been telling me. So let's start from well, you, you mentioned just now about your baseball career. Um, so how did that did that so that started from school, I guess, from what you were saying? Yeah, it's um, it was really fun. You know, in Atlanta, particularly, baseball is is a massive sport. So throughout the year, there's teams that play. And as a kid, I could always throw the ball really, really hard. And through high school, I threw 93 miles per hour, which is which is fairly fast for a high school student. And got drafted by the Florida Marlins, which is a professional team. Um, decided not to sign with them. I went to college, and then when I finished up college, I signed with the Philadelphia Phillies for their minor league team. So they have the big league team, which is where um, the big dogs play and get paid a lot of money. And then you have the minor leagues, which is where I was. So it didn't didn't pay a lot, but. I had a chance to play a game and get a paycheck for it. It was really fun. Did that for two years. And then Mm -hmm. in the off season, which is really where my MC playing guitar, I'm a freestyle rapper as well, where the music and culture and entertainment part came in because the off seasons of baseball is where I started really hosting Mm -hmm. events and creating experiences for people. So that's a, a mini snapshot of my baseball career. And so the events that you just talked about, so how did that kind of come about? What, what was the um, instigator for that? 
you know, uh, I believe in serendipity. I believe that every life uh, on the planet has a story. And when you collide that story with somebody else, your story either gets better or worse. And I try to put myself in the position of having my story collide with really, really great, fantastic people that are going to help me propel what I'm doing, but also encourage them to do what they're doing. So I met a gentleman during my first off season of baseball that would, uh, was running a production company and he was doing a big corporate event. Um, it was actually a wild, wild west country Western event. And he asked me if I wanted to come DJ. So uh, that's where I really learned how to play music, what song you play at the right time, how do you make sure the audience is engaged. And I watched the way he did it, and I was hooked. That was uh, in the year 2000, which was 20 years ago. And and did, you, did, you have, did you have any previous DJ experience before that? No, I, you know, I play guitar right. and I sang and I, I really learned how to freestyle rap through, through college. So I knew a little bit, but that was my very first get behind the turntables, actually figure out what environment you're trying to create. And as you know... <laughs> That environment you create with music is so beautiful. I'm, I'm such a huge fan of all types of music, but it's something special when you can create a fun environment. So, yeah, that's, that's where it started. And then so what, what happened from there on in? Yeah, I realized that a lot of people in the event industry were not exceeding expectations. They were really doing the bare minimum to get by. You worked with mm-hmm. a hotel or a conference center, and they had an audiovisual person that was usually pretty blasé and weren't very excited. And, and you would hire a keynote speaker. They would come in, and their slides usually didn't work with the screen or the projector you had. And there was just a lot of complications. And so mm-hmm. I figured, gosh, how could we make a fantastic, seamless experience for the client and charge a premium price for not just putting on the event, but creating an experience. Mm-hmm. I went to, I went to a concert, uh, by Justin Timberlake. I'm sure you've heard his name. Um, mm-hmm. Justin's an artist based out of Memphis, Tennessee. And I was at his concert uh, about five years ago. And what he said really crystallized for me why I do what I do. He said, I don't want my music to get in your ears. I want it to get in your blood. And mm-hmm. I realized when you put on a really great event and it becomes an experience, all the guests are leaving raving. They are inspired to be a better human. They love the brand that they went and saw that much more. So it really started for me one client at a time doing a good job. And my website wasn't very good. The internet really had just sort of came out when I was starting. So there wasn't a lot of uh, chances for PR other than just loving people and serving people well. And um, I love, um, there's a a book called Matthew. It's in the Bible. It's chapter five, verse 41. It says, somebody asks you to go one mile, go with them too. And you know, whatever faith someone is for me, I just believe that so much. If someone says, go one mile, go with them too. So I've just sort of built my career by going the second mile for my clients and um, really figuring out what would that mean for them. So that's how it grew. And 20 years later, I've got a uh, agency in Atlanta called Elevate Experiences and we help the best brands in the world uh, make their events awesome. So that's what I, that's what I do now. Well, just before we get into Elevate, something you said just then kind of piqued my interest. You talked about how in your very early days of doing the hosting and the events and so on, and and many people were just simply turning up and just just about meeting expectations. And you, it seems like you you sensed quite early on that that's what they were doing. What was it, do you think, in your background? Where did that come from that you realized people shouldn't simply be meeting expectations? It's so interesting. It's a very intuitive question. I love that question. As I look back to my childhood and I always had a lemonade stand. I don't know if if you know what that is particularly, but Mm -hmm. I would stand on the side of the road with lemonade and try to sell it for 25 cents. I would Mm -hmm. buy blow pops and try to sell them to my classmates. I would sell baseball cards. I was an entrepreneur from the very beginning. And so I paid attention to what kind of marketing was working. And Mm -hmm. 
I would really look at what tree do I want to put my sign on for my lemonade. I'd watch the eyes of the people driving by and see where they're looking. And so mm-hmm. I, I pride myself on paying attention. And I began mm-hmm. to pay attention to what the event space was doing. And it's always morphing. It's always changing. But here's something everybody wants. Every client I've ever worked with is begging for someone to ask these questions. So for the listeners out there, not just if you're in the event world, but if you're in any kind of customer service Um, client services thing, these questions will help you. Number one is what does your client need? I went to a negotiation seminar. You'll love this years ago. And we did this uh, activity where two people got together and they both had different sheets of paper. One was blue and one was yellow. And the things that were on your sheet of paper were so different. So the things on my paper is I really need to buy a refrigerated truck. I'm going to go out of business if I don't buy one. I've got to get my groceries to the grocery store. I will pay $45,000 for it. On the other person's paper, it said, I've got to sell my truck. I'm going to go bankrupt. I'm going to lose my house. I will take as low as $15,000 for this truck. And then the negotiation Mm -hmm. happened. And it was interesting Mm -hmm. to see the different ways that that negotiation took place. And Mm -hmm. what I think about always is I think about what is on my client sheet of paper. What, what's Mm -hmm. when, what's their win? You know, when I have an event planner, like how could I make this a fantastic experience? So question one is what does your client need? Number two is, uh, when does your client need it? And that third question that comes in is, how can I exceed their expectations? How do I say mm-hmm. if a proposal is going to come next Thursday, what if I send it this Tuesday? What if I told them I was going to bring six people to an event to fulfill what they're paying me for, and I bring eight? What if I were to write them a handwritten note on their birthday the next year just to say thank you and remind them specifically of what we did? So that was really, um, from the beginning for me, I've always valued um, a, paying attention to other people. And for me, I've always valued how do you create a remarkable experience for others. So I think that sort of just bled into the way that I do my business now. So when you started to take that approach into when you were doing the events and so on quite early on, were, so we, I guess then you were getting very different results to other people that were doing similar things. That's the goal. You know, I would say that our clients rave about our service. Our clients rave about how we... Uh, follow up with them and have better conversations and really help them think through how they, how they do their thing. There's a lot of great companies out there. Um, I'm very, I'm very quick to say um, there are some wonderful organizations that are doing similar things to we do. Uh, I use the phrase a lot that we play really well in the sandbox with others. So mm-hmm. sometimes we're brought in underneath another company to just be the MC for the event. That's kind of my trade. We have uh, 15 MCs on our team that at any time could go and host an event. And sometimes they don't need the event planning. They don't need the ideation. They just want somebody to execute that. Sometimes they need a brand ambassador, someone that's going to come and high five guests as they arrive. So depending on what level of service we provide a client, if it's turnkey and we do all of it, that's one thing. Or if it's we come in and we're working under another company, my goal is not just to please the client who, you know, the brand, the event is for, but also please that person that hired me and really think about how could I, how could I have them when they think about their next event? The only thought they have is we have to have to elevate because they just went above and beyond. So, so I would say we, we get really, really good, good results for our clients. Um, but we're always learning. We're always getting better. And so now, you know, I mean, elevate is obviously a, a lot bigger from, from where it started. So what type of events are you doing now? What kind of clients are you working with? Yeah, we get a chance to work with a lot of different brands, and the, the phrase that I use a lot, and this could be something that will help your listeners as well, is um, I like to make our brands think about a couple things. How are you making my team members smile? 
and how are you making my customers rave? And so some of the events we do are for internal. I had an event last week with a brand here in Atlanta called IPA. They had 120 Mm -hmm. people in their company and they did a town hall kickoff. So that event was uh, sound, DJ, slides. I spoke for 45 minutes and did a keynote talk um, about how do you build a great culture. And then we did 15 minutes of Q&A, had some interactive games. That's one kind of thing we do is internal for their team. Another thing we do is for brands like Delta Airlines or for um, a food company here in Atlanta based called Chick-fil-A is we help them tell their story to their customers. And how do we help them launch new restaurants in different places? And that's more of a customer facing. So depending on whether we're doing an internal event for a company or a customer facing event, it's a bit different approach on how we do that. But those are just mm-hmm. a couple couple ideas of clients we work with. We work with clients that are massive all the way down to, you know, clients that are local and small and just want to do a really good fun event for their team. And you, you talked about um, brand experiences. So what, what, what do you mean by brand experiences? We're all a brand, right? Every person's a brand. Every brand we interact with, my favorite four brands of all time are Disney, Apple, mm-hmm. Nike, and Lululemon. Those are my four mm-hmm. favorite brands of all time. Those kind of brands want to make sure they put on an event that is fantastic. We decided mm-hmm. to switch our name from Elevate Live Events to Elevate Experiences about three years ago. If you go to our website, and actually if you type in Elevate Live Events, it'll redirect to Elevate Experiences. We decided mm-hmm. to not just say we're not just a live event company because there's a lot of live event groups. We really want to create that experience where, uh, and the first question I ask a client when we're kind of in a sales meeting or trying to present what we're doing is I'll say, Hey, what do you want your clients to be? Or what do you want your people that come to your event to be thinking about? And what do you want them to be feeling? And Mm -hmm. that for us, that brand experience is when they engage with your brand, when they see your logo, when they interact with something online, what do you want them to be thinking? What do you want them to be feeling? And the live Mm -hmm. event that you have is a really good chance, not for them to think about your brand, but to feel it. And I think that's the, the big element that I'm trying to get across when we put on this experience for them is we want somebody to really, really feel what that's all about. And, and you just mentioned Disney there. And I know you've got a story about Disney, haven't you? Well, I, I, love, I love Walt Disney. Um, there's a ride there he put out in, the, uh, in New York City at the World's Fair in 1964 called the Carousel of Progress. And there's a, it's a ride. It's, very, it's not a really fast ride. It's more of a story that Walt Disney was telling but there's a song that they play as you ride on that ride. And the song goes, it's a great, big, beautiful tomorrow shining at the end of every day. Man has a dream. That's the start. He follows his dream with his mind and his heart. When it becomes a reality, it becomes a dream for you and me. There's a great, big, beautiful tomorrow. And the reason I love Disney so much is they're always trying to think about what does tomorrow look like? What does uh, the next step look like? And I have a five-year-old daughter named Piper and Piper was there and she loves going through the, the stores there at Disney and begging her dad, <laughs> begging her dad to buy everything there. But she picked mm-hmm. up something and she dropped it and she broke it in the middle of the store. Just imagine the scene. It's like, it's like the record scratched and everything stopped and she dropped it and mm-hmm. broke into a thousand pieces. And she looked up with me with this big tear in her eye. And, and, you know, I, I did my best as a dad not to shame her or get frustrated. I said, all right, sweetie, well, we've got to go tell them that we broke it and we've got to go pay for it. And, um, mm-hmm. she said, she said, you know what, let me go tell them. And she walked over there by herself and she told the lady at the, at the register that she had broken this item. It was about 40, 40 American dollars. Um, mm-hmm. so it wasn't cheap. And mm-hmm. the lady from Disney came out from behind the counter, 
got down on one knee and looked Piper right in the eye and said, thank you for telling me that. Your honesty is going to take you a long way in life. I want to give you one of those to say thank you. And she gave it to her for free. Now, that's an $80 decision that a frontline team member was able to snap their fingers and on the spot make. What does that mean? What does that mean for this podcast that everybody's hearing this story? What does that mean for me when I'm wanting to buy season tickets and take my family back over and over and over again? I'm never going to forget that story. And empowering your frontline team members, the ones that are actually executing on what your brand's doing, to do things like that is literally everything. Um, so that's my story of Disney. I've got a lot of different ones. I've, I've seen team members at Disney world when a, when a young boy or girl drops an ice cream on the ground and they're crying, they'll go get them another one and bring it to them. So they've got something within their system at Disney. Um, Mm. I've actually been to the Disney Institute and got a little behind the scenes of how they do their thing. And they really empower their people to exceed expectations person by person on the ground, not just, uh, in their big Mm. marketing campaign. But how did your daughter react when that lady said that? You know, it's, it's formative years. You know this. When you're five years old, it, it meant everything. And to watch her eyes light up, and I saw it in her face, she connected that because she was honest, she mm. got something great. For me, mm. that's literally everything. You know, if, if you can raise up someone that's making good decisions and then you have a brand that rewards your child for making the right decision – I mean, mm. I, would totally, I was totally expecting them to say, okay, well, thanks for telling us. Hey, Dad, you know, that's $40. You know, mm. I would have gladly paid for it and would have not have been mad. We, we broke it. But they went, yeah. above, they went above and beyond. I was like, not only are you not charging me for it, you're giving her one for free. <laughs> mm. I, I literally couldn't believe it. So watching my daughter's face and her smile, and that's, that's now her favorite toy. I mean, she sleeps with it every night. It's a little, uh, little princess doll. She sleeps with it. We talk about the story. So that $80 decision for Disney planted a story in Atlanta, Georgia that will go on. I'll tell my grandkids about it. You know, it's, it's those long lasting stories. And so exceeding expectations is not just a smart business move. It's just a great human move. You know, it's just a great way to do something that's going to last beyond when you die. Well, and because one of the things about it is exactly what you're doing now. You're telling the world about that story. And and because Disney do that so consistently, I've heard so many people say great stories about Disney. And so that's why people flock there, because they know that they're going to have an amazing experience. Yeah, and even, even if they don't, right? Even if it's not the best experience of all time. Um, they don't, they don't win every single one of them, but gosh, they win so many more than most of them. There's you know, so many wonderful stories about it. So not to say they have it perfect, but they charge a premium price for their tickets. You know, there is no yeah. discounts. Trust me. I've been there a lot, <laughs> but, uh, but it's worth every penny. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm, I'm also intrigued about something you mentioned before we started recording about you were on the Jimmy Fallon show. Yeah. So I got a really fun opportunity. Jimmy Fallon is one of my favorite uh, MCs of all time. And he's got a show obviously called the tonight show with Jimmy Fallon and you can get tickets to go to the show. It's totally free. It's in New York city right there at radio uh, city music hall, right by um, central park. And so mm-hmm. my wife and I got tickets. We went to the show and they do this skit on the show called freestyling with the roots. And it's where mm-hmm. Jimmy goes up to the crowd with a card and he asks an audience member certain questions. He writes it down. And then one of their singers uh, named Tariq will freestyle rap right there uh, on the show about what you just said. Now, I did a TED Talk a few months ago 
about how mm-hmm. every every leader needs to freestyle rap. And it's about uh, the things I've learned about freestyle rapping and how leaders can take those principles and put them into their life. That's probably a totally different podcast. But I really talked about how Tariq from The Roots took that moment. He freestyle rapped. It was amazing. But what happened for me on the show is I was scared out of my mind because I had this knowingness that he was going to stop at me. My wife was pointing at me. Jimmy saw me, caught my eye. I stood up and it was like I was in a dream. I literally uh, didn't know what I was going to do next. And he said, hello, I shook his hand. He grabbed me the mic. He gave me the mic and I uh, answered his questions. But then at the end, right before Tariq was about to rap, I said, hey, Jimmy, I can freestyle rap. And there was this moment where Jimmy looked at his producer and his producer just shrugged her shoulders and Tariq said, well, I guess we'll just let him rap about his own situation. So instead of them doing it, they let me do it and they put it on the show. And uh, I trace it back to um, I was able to create $348,000 worth of revenue because of that one moment. I had so many calls and emails of people saying, hey, if you have the if you have the balls to say that and rap like that on Jimmy Fallon, then I want to work with you. So but that only happened because they exceeded my expectations by actually letting me rap. Now I had to, I had to say, this is what I can do. Jimmy easily could have said, uh, okay, cool. We can't, you can't do that today, but I love that. Okay. Tariq, why don't you, they didn't do that. They said, Hey, okay, great. Let's go for it. So I think exceeding expectations, there's a bit of improv that you have to have. You have to have this, uh, trusting in your ability. There's this, um, I've got to come with a plan, but I also have to have an, a way to engage with the crowd. So, Uh, Just like this podcast, you know, just like we're asking questions, it's very fluid. I think we have Mm -hmm. to exceed expectations by taking what we know, but then being fluid in the situation. So that that moment uh, was an amazing moment for me, and it led to a lot of business and led to a lot of really fun impact. And is there is that on YouTube or anything? Is there a link of that? Yeah, you can go to uh, Facebook if you type in "freestyling with the roots." Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis, the famous actor, was on the show that day, and it's on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Now, i got to preface this. It was not my favorite rap of all time. <clears throat> I was extremely nervous. Uh, it's one of my worst ones I've actually ever done, but uh, it counts for something. So if you go watch it, don't laugh at me too hard, but I had a good time. And, and on that whole freestyle rap, I mean, so how did that come about? How did you get into that? So I love music, and I love stories. And so um, I wrote a blog series last fall called Hip Hop Raised Me. So mm-hmm. growing up in Atlanta, um, Outkast and a lot of the musical movement here down in Atlanta was a lot of hip hop, R&B, spoken word. And I just fell in mm-hmm. love with it. And so I learned that I was really good, quick on my feet, good communicator. I had a friend of mine who actually taught me how to freestyle rap. He said, take a plain table with nothing on it and then just put one item in front of you. And just think of everything you can say about that one item. And what, so what, age saying, are we, what age are we talking about here? Uh, so I was 20, 20 years old. Okay. So yeah. I'm, I'm 43 now. So um, 20 years old, I started just looking at that. And then I would drive down the road and I would just tell stories about things that I saw and connected the dots. And there's a wonderful uh, 60 Minutes interview with Eminem, uh, the famous rapper. And he gives this illustration of how he creates freestyle. So it's... Um, Anderson Cooper does the interview. It's a really great, uh, concept about freestyle, but I fell in love with that art form. And now, um, I use it at different speaking engagements. So I'm a keynote speaker. I do a lot of, uh, talks at different organizations and I'll use freestyle rap as a way to provide some levity, provide some fun, but also sort of confound the audience a little bit. Hmm. 
And and so when well, I'm intrigued as to how you use it in your in your talks and what when you say it confounds the audience in what way what what is it there they're not expecting it to come from you or yeah why is yeah. it yeah. It's a great question so um, I have a book that's called Culture Reconstructed and mm. I wrote about the 14 essential building blocks for remarkable culture and these mm. 14 blocks is kind of like when you're building a uh, Lincoln Logs or Legos or everything fits together you have to have these 14 blocks. Some of them people mm-hmm. neglect. Some of them you don't really necessarily need until your company's bigger. But uh, I let the companies that I work with choose which blocks they want me to talk about. So most of the time, mm-hmm. I will speak on communication, collaboration, and systems. Those are the three most important building blocks um, of every great culture. And then what I'll do is I'll show them how um, at the end we can collaborate together. And so I, I hand out these white cards with Sharpie markers and I have them all write down one really big word on the piece of paper. And mm-hmm. then I have them all hold them up in the audience and then I'll freestyle rap about all those pieces of paper that they wrote down. And so it's a way to show how you have to have your system and understand how you do things, but then how you mm-hmm. also have to be in the moment. So it's a, it's a fun little way that I do it and uh, get some hand claps and some fun smiles at the end of it. But it's, it's a way that I demonstrate uh, and use my talent and my gift to collaborate. Mm. And on the the book you were talking about, so what is the what is the book about, and what was it that inspired you to write it in the first place? Yeah, so the it, I was inspired to write it simply because all the events that I was that I was doing, I noticed that people were doing events because they wanted to build culture. That whether it was mm. they're doing it for their internal team or externally, they wanted to build a culture. They wanted to improve their brand. And so every time I would turn the microphone off, I would come off to the side of the stage. Um, the president or an HR director or VP of something would come up to me and ask me, hey, this event's awesome, but I've noticed how your team that's working with you are on the same page and they're smiling and they're enjoying each other. Hey, there's, there's something you're doing with your team that's awesome. Can you come and speak to my company about communication? Can you come speak to them about working together? Can you come speak to them about various things? So I just started saying yes. And then I realized I need to write a book about this. Because there's a lot of great books out there about culture, but there's nothing really practical. And this is the subtitle of the book is a start where you are guide to building a culture of impact. And so mm-hmm. most people start where they were or start where they want to be. They don't start where they are. And so the book is really designed for wherever somebody is. If they have two people in their company up to, you know, they're making $2 billion a month, whatever size, they can always go back and look at these building blocks and start where they are. So it's a, it's really a guide to say, here, here's where I am. Where do I go from here? And you can go piece by piece and really grow your organization and grow the blocks. And you, you talked there about your team and about those positive comments you were getting about the team. So when you first started employing people, did you, was that something that you were really sort of stringent about, about like a, a kind of tough, rigorous um, interview system? Or were you on the lookout for specific people? 100%. Specific type? 100%. So when, when somebody joins your company, your company changes and that person is now the DNA of your brand and will forever mm-hmm. be changed because of that person. So I take that pretty seriously. Uh, the top two traits, if you were to boil it down to me, hey, Billy, what are you looking for? I'm looking for somebody that's positive and nimble. Those are the two. You got to be positive and you got to be nimble. Got to be willing to change, got to be willing to grow and you got to be positive. Um, I don't deal mm-hmm. too well with negativity. I don't think there's too much room with it. Now, I want to be real when things aren't going well. I want to be honest, but there's always a brighter day tomorrow. And I started looking for people like that. Really, um, I trust a lot with assessments. I'm uh, certified in one called Colby. I'm sure some of your listeners have heard of Myers-Briggs, Strike Finder, some of these different assessments. 
And I started taking them and learning that I love risk. Um, I am very uh, systems averse. I don't really mm-hmm. like a lot of data. I just want to go full speed and try a bunch of stuff. All right, cool. I'm probably pretty good at sales and building a business. Yes, but I'm really not great at sustaining much. So the first couple of hires that I look for, I wanted people that were the same DNA, that were positive, that were nimble, that were awesome, but also Mm -hmm. were wired very differently so they could actually not just be a promise maker, but be a promise keeper. So I'm looking at every position of how can I hire people that are promise keepers, not just promise makers. Mm. And so did it, did it take a lot of, did you need to do much training with the people you hired or were you just so good at spotting the right people in the first place? Yeah, no, it definitely trained. We, we, uh, we hired for character, we trained for skill. <clears throat> and so I'm looking for people that have high character that have those things we're looking for. But the skills, we have an onboarding process called flight school. Obviously our brand name is called elevate. So it's pretty cheeky to say flight school. So we have this video series with, uh, quizzes they have to take. There's a whole onboarding process that people go through. And then when they graduate, they get their wings. So our logo, if you go to the Elevate website, is an actual wing. And so you get your wings once you go through flight school. So we spend a lot of time, uh, what do they need to know? But then you and I both know in the event creation industry, there's so many variables. So once you get a certain baseline of knowledge, then we start putting them in the fire and having them learn as they go. So not all of it is systematized, but we've tried to systematize as much as we can. Hmm. And you told me, you mentioned before about you were involved in the FIFA World Cup. Yeah, so had the opportunity through our relationship with Coca-Cola in Atlanta to uh, be a host of the FIFA World Cup Trophy Tour, which traveled all around the U.S. and around the world. I didn't get to travel around the world, unfortunately, but did a lot of the U.S. sites. And one really mm-hmm. fun, exceeding expectation story with that is I was in Atlanta on a Friday. It was hosting their event, and uh, it was at the Coca-Cola World Headquarters, and did a really great job and had a lot of fun and people were engaged and the meeting planner came up to me and said, Hey, Billy, two days from now, we're going to be in Los Angeles and our MC that was supposed to be there just got in trouble with the law and literally can't be there. Can you fly out tomorrow to Los Angeles and host an event for 30,000 people? Hmm. And I said, sure, why not? So I went behind the stage. I called my wife and said, Hey, am I able to do this? And that was actually Easter Sunday. It was actually like a big, a big holiday here in the States. And, and she said, Hey, whatever you're going to charge them, just add a zero to it and see what they say. <laughs> so that's what I did. They said yes. And, um, I flew out there, but the exceeding expectation part for me was not that <clears throat> all they hired me to do was to be the MC between bands and sort of keep the energy up. <clears throat> well, one of the major bands um, couldn't make it. They didn't show up. So they had an hour and a half on their schedule. Well, they didn't have anything that they could fill. And so mm-hmm. they came to me and they said, Hey, Billy, we've got, we're right here in LA live right there at the Staples center. I mean, this massive Coca-Cola FIFA event. And they mm-hmm. came to me and said, Hey, Billy, um, we've got a band that didn't show up. Is there any way you can just DJ, play music, get people dancing, having fun? We'll pay you whatever we need to pay you. We'll do it. And I looked at my client and said, Hey, you don't owe me anything. I love your brand. I want to work with you guys for years to come. I'm not going to charge you anything else, but I will make it the best. I'll make it the best hour and a half of this entire event. Now, Mm -hmm. can I do that always? No. Was it a smart business move? Well, I probably easily could have said a number and they would have said yes and I could have made more money. But for me, that relationship led to so much more business. And Mm. I talk a lot of time to people when you exceed expectations, you really have to view 
playing the long-term game and playing the legacy game versus the make money in the moment. And that's really hard when the bills are due. I get it. But in that moment for me, it was really fun to do that and exceeded expectations. And it was a really fun event and, and they've, uh, they've raved since then. And what was it you did for that 90 minutes? So I, uh, I have, you know, my, my twenties, I spent a lot of time. Um, actually I, I cut my teeth doing a lot of weddings and I know mm-hmm. uh, you've been there in the past, just you know, playing music for folks during weddings and making sure it's fun. Mm-hmm. So I took a lot of my uh, wedding knowledge of what songs to play, how to get people dancing. I do a lot of interactive games. Actually, if you go to our YouTube channel at Elevate Experiences, we have a lot of interactive games that you can play with the crowd. They're how-to mm-hmm. videos on that website. So uh, we've created a lot of games of how we do that. So I've played a lot of fun crowd interactive things, gave a lot of things mm-hmm. away, but really got them dancing and excited. So it was a fly by my seat of my pants. I didn't have any script. It was definitely an hour and a half of all right. Let's let's uh let's entertain these people. So that's just some of the things that I did. Wow. And so, what has that led? I mean, what else have you done with FIFA since then? Have you done? Yeah. So dogs? they. Um, I love the. Um, I love FIFA. Um, I've got a chance to host probably ten to fifteen more events with them with the uh, FIFA Women's World Cup. And whenever they come back to the States, um, I get a chance to host a lot of their events as well. So probably eight to 10 to 12, somewhere in that additional events with them. And it was just a lot of goodwill with the event company that put it on to do more things with their other companies they work with too. Because I've learned that in this game is that if you're working for a production company, if you do a really good job with them, they'll bring you to come work with their other clients as well. And so it's, it's led to some other really fun uh, events, not just with FIFA or with Coke, but with other brands too. Hmm. At the start of the show, you were talking about how much you love sports teams and well, sports in general, and you, your ambition is one day to try and, um, I think it was own a team, did you say? Mm-hmm. How, yep. how, well, how do you think that that might go? How do you think you're going to go about doing that? So it's going to take about $2 billion to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so my ambition is to leverage everything I can online with courses, um, with Instagram Live, Facebook Live, TikTok, LinkedIn. I, I love social media. Leveraging as much as I can to add as much value as I can with my skill, my talent to sell courses, uh, speaking engagements to them, but then also build an agency that becomes a worldwide brand that is helping the best brands in the world tell their story. And so that's where I'm headed right now. Um, that's the things that I'm thinking about. We all know that book sales are not going to do it. We all know that uh, whenever we just trade time for money, that's not the mm-hmm. smartest thing. So I'm figuring out how to gain multiple streams of income by adding value in different ways. And mm-hmm. I think it's going to begin by having a relationship with some of the people um, who own the team now. And it'll start with a partial ownership, not buying the whole thing, but having partial ownership and then figuring out it's probably going to take till when I'm about 70 years old for it to actually happen. But that's where I'm headed. Well, that's a a great ambition. That's not something I hear very often. Um, (laughs) You you also, before we started recording, you were talking to me about um, something that happened in Pearl Harbor. So Pearl Harbor obviously is a very famous place. Um, started a you know a world war. There was a, a bomb that went there. U.S. Japan, like all all this stuff happened, um, and now it's a historical site. There's a lot of peace there. There's a lot of uh, it's just a beautiful place. And so one of our partners, Chick Fil A, was doing a big um, 
basically a watch party for the Army Navy football game. And mm-hmm. it was a massive screen, chairs, food on the Pearl Harbor pier, basically. And mm-hmm. we went out there and helped them activate it. So we worked with a local production company there in Hawaii and hosted it, played the music, make sure the cable TV was working and the game was on. And um, so the game was actually played uh, in Philadelphia on the other side of the U.S., but they did a watch party for all of the military people that were there. And what was really unique was we went there three or four days early, and all we were really paid to do was to make sure that the day of the event was really awesome. But what we decided to do as a team that was there, we decided to spend just about every hour of the days leading up to it there on the pier with our client, doing pretty much everything we could to make the event awesome. And I say that not bragging, but I just say that's that's our modus operandi. That's how we do things. We figure out what our client needs and then how can we just exceed it. So it was, it was fun for us that um, they actually uh, needed us. I mean, there were there were several things that happened logistically that if we would not have been in that posture we would have been in a lot different place. And so just, just for the guests that are listening and your, your listeners here is think about how you could exceed someone's expectations at the current thing that you're doing that will lead to future things. Now your motive has to be pure. It can't be, I'm just doing this so I can get future stuff. Like that's not the goal. But if you really just do what's right by people and treat them the right way, right where you're at, I promise serendipity, the universe, God, whatever you believe in is going to lead to better things in the future. I just think that that is, a, a spiritual law we should all follow is treat other people the way we want to be treated. If we do that really well now, then it's going to lead to stuff in the future. So Pearl Harbor was a, a very good indicator of that because there's a lot of other things that are coming up with uh, the USO and with Chick-fil-A that are happening because of that posture. And, and well, that kind of leads me on to thinking, you know, what your thoughts are about exceeding expectations and, and what you think many businesses approaches to regarding that whole kind of um, area. Yeah, so my key phrase, and this is sort of a drop the mic phrase, I believe this with all my heart, what gets celebrated gets reproduced. Mm -hmm. Meaning what you talk about, what you find valuable is what gets reproduced. So as a leader in a company, whatever you're deciding to celebrate, your company is going to see that. People are going to say, oh, that's what they like. I'm going to do more of that. And if Mm -hmm. just meeting expectations is what gets celebrated, then you're never going to get there. I would spend time at my meetings, giving out awards, telling stories, having conversations about what it means that what we promised and how we over delivered. And so um, we do a thing at my company called the mad props awards. Uh, Mad props is kind of just like giving credit um, to people that do something above and beyond. So after every single event we do, we gather in a huddle and we say, okay, what's our, what's our Mad Props Awards? And everybody goes around and they get to highlight things that went on that weren't necessarily on our invoice, that weren't necessarily on the things we had to do. So that's just something practical that, that we do as a team. We make sure that we gather and really tell those stories because that's what's mm-hmm. celebrated. And we know at the next event, that's what's reproduced. So um, that's, that's what I would say from, a, from exceeding expectations is, goodness, some of the best brands in the world like uh, Amazon – uh, sent me this $300 audio speaker that I had and I wasn't really happy with it. I was going to mail it back and they just said, Hey, tell you what, keep that speaker. It still worked. I mean, it actually was great because we, <laughs> we still use it. Keep that speaker, but we're going to send you another one for free. And I said, goodness, that, that, that's exceeded expectations. That's why I love Amazon so much. I think about, uh, the best brands in the world have a budget line item 
that says, I'm going to try to exceed your expectations with this. So um, there's some brands out there that just trying to meet them. I just think it's a better business plan. I think if we can celebrate the right things, then it's going to reproduce the right things. Why, why do you think it is that so many companies do just simply try to meet the expectations? Because of their board. <laughs> because of what they've been told is, you know, uh, you know, I've got to, I've got to do what I'm told. I've got this system that says, here's my invoice. Here's what we say we're going to do. Here's the scope of work. Here it is. And I, and I understand that I, I really do. But in that scope of work, I think if we can just add a line item that every single event, there's going to be five to 10% of more money and more time that we're going to spend to blow this client's mind, to have them not just be, Oh, that was good. Thank you to you would not believe what they did for me. Uh, I use the phrase a lot when I'm training customer service and training uh, expectation management with clients is how many times do you have to ask your client to post about you on Instagram or Facebook? If you have to ask them, it's not authentic. But if they're just yeah. posting because they want to, it means they really love it. Right. So don't don't look at the have to do. Look at the get to do. And if you can get to some of those questions, I just think that it's a better business plan. Now, is there a lot of companies out there that just meet expectations that are making a lot of money? Absolutely. So it's not a bad thing to just meet expectations. I just think there's a better way to exceed them. And I think you'll, you will have more happiness, more money and more impact if you do. Well, and and what you just said about happiness, I mean, I think, I think sometimes it's a case of some of these companies have never, because they've never tried to exceed people's expectations, their customers' expectations. So they've never seen that, gleeful response that just amazed response and then therefore the the word of mouth that spread because they've gone out of their way to please someone and so they don't realize what benefits what results they could get from adopting that kind of approach 100 and it's it's scary it's basically mm. saying I'm, I'm putting out more money or more time than i probably quote unquote need to so i, I mm. understand the reasoning i know it's scary but i would say for for people out there that are listening just just take it in bite-sized pieces Try just mm. writing a handwritten note to thank your client after the event. Try to mm. maybe I have a company that sends me uh, chocolate chip cookies after every event we do just to say thank you. There's a handwritten note and they send us cookies. That means so much to me. That And they're paying us. This is a client that we work with. That, and I'm thinking, goodness, they're paying us and they're sending me cookies and a card after every event we do. Like that is that is truly remarkable. Uh, so I think mm-hmm. about, you know, regardless of whether you're the one who's paying or being paid, just gratitude, just just being grateful wins. I, I just think one of the most underutilized weapons that we have is gratitude. And mm-hmm. it gratitude assaults all the pride, ego, arrogance, greed, all the stuff that we deal with on our own hearts. Just having gratitude for where we are and then learning mm-hmm. how to express that to our clients that will exceed expectations and they'll, they'll want to work with you. They'll spread the word. They'll tell more people about you. It'll grow your business. It'll grow your bottom line. But, mm-hmm. but not to say it's easy because it's very easy to get back to the blocking and tackling and the, the basics of business. If people want to find out more about your book and the courses you do, where, where would they go to? Yeah, let me give you two, two really easy places. One is billybspeaks.com slash book mm-hmm. and then billybspeaks.com slash microphone mm-hmm. those two places you can go to find my book and then find my online course called more than a microphone and our goal is to really with the book it's a fantastic read it's actually a really quick read it's only 130 pages but it's a power packed on how you can grow culture and then the course 
is I put everything that I've learned about communicating in boardrooms and communicating on stages in one course that you can follow. So those are two places to go. And then obviously to follow, I love every listener to go to Instagram. That's where I spend most of my time. It's at Billy Bowie, B-I-L-L-Y-B-O-U-G-H-E-Y. Just go there and um, yeah, hit me on a direct message. I, I do my best to respond to every single person that uh, that comes through. So yeah, Instagram would be the best place to follow me. And then those are the two links. And the book, um, you were saying only was only released a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, it's uh, January 14th of 2020. So I call it a, a new decade for a, a new culture. And um, launching a book was really fun and interesting. That's probably a whole other podcast we could do. I learned so much about storytelling and connecting with people and how do you get the word out. And uh, we've had a lot of fun of, uh, of getting the book out to folks. And I do a lot of speaking, so it's I'll sell books when I go speak. And so it's been a lot of just kind of step-by-step learning and getting a lot of good feedback. So, so yeah, we're, uh, we're new into the launch. I have no idea what I'm doing because it's my first book, but I'm having a lot of fun. Hmm. Well, Billy, I believe you've got a, well, both a quotation and, and a book that you recommend to other people. Yeah, my, my favorite book of all time is Good to Great by Jim Collins. There's a lot of books that I read that have helped me in my journey, but Good to Great is by far the best um, chapter by chapter. It's just got great things you can apply to business and life. And then my favorite quote is by Walt Disney is we keep opening up new doors, going down new paths, doing new things because we're curious and curiosity is what leads us down those new paths. So Walt Disney said that. So I hope that curiosity and actually going out and trying these baby steps of exceeding expectations would be what your listeners would do. Mm. And actually, I just just realised we also didn't mention your podcast. So, if people want to to listen to your podcast, what what is what is the name of it, and what is it about? Yeah, really, it really focuses in on this word experience. And people I have on my show really examine their life experience and how it impacts their future. So, we we have a lot of fun on the show. We talk about music. We talk about uh, things they went through as a kid. We get into some really fun topics. And the, the title of that podcast is created for experience created for experience you can find it on spotify or itunes and yeah stop by take a listen billy i really appreciate all the um, the great stories and, and value you've given to our listeners so thank you for your time hey it is an absolute pleasure and uh, thanks for having me on the show next week episode 78 is with Teresa cefali she's a productivity strategist and coach and she has shamelessly smart productivity and helps you to save time and make business easier. She started a digital craft magazine um, some years ago, which blew up way beyond her expectations. And she's about to start a podcast and has some online courses as well. So that's, we're going to be hearing much more next week about Teresa Cifali. Hope you enjoyed this week's show. Please do subscribe. Why not leave a review, share the episode and have a fantastic